0: So there's this, uh, this guy, his name is uh, William McRaven, a uh, very interesting person. Um, he's a retired Navy Admiral. He's also a retired Navy SEAL. About five or six or seven years ago, he was giving this um, commencement address at uh, the University of Texas. And uh, the speech was really very, very well received. Ended up getting crazy amount of, it went viral, like millions of views on on YouTube. And uh, kind of the premise of the speech was was kind of simple. Uh, It was was lessons that he learned from Navy SEAL training. And uh, what he was trying to, the point he ultimately made was the, the things he learned doing this very specific task were things that apply to really all of life. Um, so he just talked a lot about challenge and adversity and sacrifice and struggle, um, and how they can be certainly overcome and they actually make us better and stronger. Um, well, anyway, the book was, or the uh, the speech was such a, such a success that somebody said to him, you really ought to put this into book form and kind of expand it, and he did. Um, became a bestseller a couple of years ago. Uh, The first principle he had was uh, that you should just make your bed every day. That was something he learned in basic training. And, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal and probably isn't objectively, but like it's just, it's a task. You get up, you make your bed. Um, Something I absolutely don't do, but his point was something we should do. It's just like a little task that you succeed with and you just, you go on to the next one. Kind of like, you know, small, completed tasks. Ultimately can have, take on meaning and purpose in life. So anyway, that was the name of the book. Make Your Bed. Little Things That Can Change Your Life. And maybe the world. It was good. I got it. Uh, and it was, you know, real short. Very, kind of, very readable. He um, just wrote another one. And I just got that as well. And it's, it's real good. I think I, I think I like it even more. It's called... Um, the Hero Code, Lessons Learned from Lives Well-Lived. Uh, similar, similar kind of setup and, and style. It's these uh, 10 chapters, 10 virtues. Each one is a, a little chapter. And they're virtues that he sort of witnessed from just people in the course of his life who kind of just exemplified these these great qualities. So there's a chapter on courage, there's one on humility, there's one on sacrifice, compassion. The last one of the book is on forgiveness. And he tells this story, um, experience that he had when he was in in Afghanistan in combat. Uh, It was a mission that he was leading uh, and it went horribly, terribly, tragically wrong, this mission they were, uh, he was leading it and they were supposed to, uh, they were trying to find this Taliban leader. And they thought he was staying in this particular house, in this particular village. So they surround it. And uh, well, it turns out the bad guys are not there. In fact, the people who are there, the people who own the home are good guys. They're um, Afghan allies with us. But they're they're in the house and they see these soldiers sort of taking position. looks like they're getting ready to attack their house and they don't realize they're Americans. So they start defending their home. The Americans start defending themselves. There's this firefight. And a bunch of completely very innocent people are killed in the process. The owner of this home, this elderly Afghan gentleman, he lost uh, two of his sons. So it was just this series of fatal, awful mistakes, um, not intended by any means, but just terrible, terrible. Anyway, this is what this guy, McCraven says about it. He says, in all my time in the military, it was the most gut-wrenching tra- tragedy I've ever faced. And he knew he had to meet with his father. He needed, he needed to, you know, meet with him and... At least apologize. So this is what he says. In accordance with Afghan tradition, I came that day to offer reparations in the form of several sheep and some modest compensation. But the real reason I went was to apologize, to let the father know that I was truly sorry for the pain my soldiers and this war had caused him. I had no idea how the old man could possibly forgive me. Had it been me, the hatred would have been too deep to reconcile with anyone responsible for killing my children. Anyway, he's getting ready to meet this grieving father, but before he does that, really kind of in in preparation for that, he meets up with this uh, general who's uh, from Afghanistan. He's an ally with us, but very much aware of the culture of these people. And he just wants to talk to him to make sure he says the right thing in the right way. Um, he's just trying to figure out how how will this guy ever possibly forgive us for what we've done. And this general uh, says this, the father will forgive you. He said it very matter of fact. How is that possible? I said in disbelief. And he said very simply, it's what Allah would want. And then he talks about himself being very skeptical of that because he's fighting Muslims who are hardly about forgiveness. They're about the opposite. And he references the Al-Qaeda and the, and the Taliban. But this general is just very confident. He says, I know this village. I know these people. They're good people. They're good Muslims. And this father will forgive you. And then the, and then the general says this. and I think this is just the great, great words. He says, the father will forgive you because it will take away his, his burden. Not the burden of his loss. Nothing can ever take that away. But the burden of his hatred and his anger. Forgiveness is a great gift, not only to those who receive it, but to those that give it. Not a great, not a great statement. And then he has this meeting, which he describes in this book. He says, I looked first at the son. One of, one of the surviving sons is present at this meeting. I looked first at the son. And he clearly wanted me dead. Then I cast my eyes on the father. Taking a deep breath, I said, I'm the commander of the soldiers who, accident, who accidentally killed your sons. I came here today to give my condolences to you and to your family and to your friends. The father never looked up. I continued. I also come today to ask your forgiveness for these terrible tragedies. Finally, the father raised his head and he looked me in the eye. His face was expressionless, but his eyes were kind. They were deep, sad, heartbroken, but kind. He nodded for me to continue. I said, sir, you and I are different. You are a family man living at home with many children. I'm a soldier who has spent most of my life overseas, away from my family, but I have children as well, and my heart grieves for you. Tears began to well up in the old man's eyes. And then he said this, the Admiral continued, he said, but we have one thing in common, one very important thing. We both believe in a God who shows great love and compassion. I pray for you today, sir, that in your grief, he will show you love and compassion and ease your pain. I also pray today that he will show mercy on me and my men for this awful tragedy. The father nodded slightly. Once again, I asked for forgiveness. The son then leaned over to the father and whispered something in his ear. The look of anger on his face had softened. The fire in his eyes had gone out. And the son spoke, very simply, thank you very much. We will not keep anything in our heart against you. We will not keep anything in our heart against you. And then this is what the Admiral says, this I think is the essence of forgiveness. As I left the village that day, I felt a burden had been lifted, but more importantly, I had a a renewed sense of the power of forgiveness. I prayed that the time would come when I would be as merciful to someone else as the father, that father had been to me. I hoped someday I would be as good a man as he was. And then he goes on a few more paragraphs. He talks about, uh, remember that shooting in uh, Charleston a couple of years ago in that church? This nut came in and murdered, I think, nine totally innocent people. And then how in the, in the following days, the uh, family members of these victims very publicly forgave this guy. This guy who wasn't, hadn't even asked for forgiveness, hadn't even apologized. And they were speaking about forgiveness and just the, almost the unbelievable nature of that. I think we look at that and it just it stops us, doesn't it? We hear these like stories of just outrageous, radical, almost hard to believe Forgiveness. And I think most of us think, I, you know, that's awesome. I don't know if I could do it. I know I should. I wish I could. I don't know if I can. Well, it can be done. And these are just examples, right? It's not fiction. These are true people and true stories. It is possible. Now, if you've been watching the news at all, I guess the last week or so, this story about... Uh, Minnesota, a kid, 20-year-old kid who was shot by the police officer. He stopped, like a traffic stop, and they asked him to get out of the car. He resists. There's a struggle. The police officer reaches for her, which he thinks is her taser, but it's in fact her gun, and she kills the guy. If you watch the video, I mean, it looks, I mean, it really looks like it had to have been a mistake, like a horrendous mistake, but a mistake. People are saying that she should be tried for murder. People are saying that she murdered this guy. She intentionally killed him because of the color of his skin. public officials speaking that way. Like, beyond reckless. The mayor. The mayor said almost immediately that that police officer should be fired. Before they had any any of the facts, before there was any investigation, she should be fired. And then the city manager sort of responded to that and said, well, we need to have... Everybody needs due process. We all deserve due process, right? He got fired. He got fired for saying, let's be fair, due process for all. And he gets canned. It's like, what is this mob rule? Like, where are we? This sounds more like Afghanistan than it does here. police officer who killed that guy. Hey, I mean, should she be fired? Maybe. I don't know. That's why you investigate situations. You You don't do mob rule. The press leaked her address of where she lives. They had to install concrete barriers around her house and fences around her house. How can that be okay? How can we be okay with that? You know what that's not? Man, it's not that Afghan father who forgave, forgave us for killing his two sons by accident. It's not those Charleston families who reacted to the murder, the murder of their loved ones certainly not Jesus, not in this gospel, not in any of these gospels we've been hearing since Easter Sunday. He keeps showing up and he keeps saying the same thing. He keeps saying peace because he knows what people are dealing with, both the people that were close to him who just acted in disgraceful ways and also the people that openly murdered him. He talks forgiveness. Look at what he says here tonight. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached to all the nations. Like that's it. That's the message. It's about forgiveness. Forgiveness because we will always be in need of forgiveness, because we are imperfect, sinful people. That's why we have... That's why God sent his son to clean up the mess of us. So it always has to be about mercy. It always has to be about forgiveness. It can never be about mob rule. You know, that book I was reading about, uh, that admiral at the end of that chapter he's got a couple of great this one paragraph where he well he makes this point about society today listen to what he says here he says society today seems to be so easily offended we're quick to anger and some people believe every offensive act no matter the intent requires a swift rebuke the hardest thing any hero can do is to forgive It's easier to storm a hill or fight a fire or stop a madman with a gun. It's harder to forgive because we're afraid to. We're afraid that forgiving will take away the anger that drives us, the hatred that motivates us, the indignation of being wronged. We want more than anything to harness the outrage, to feel the power of injustice and the fury of discontent so we can lash out at the offender no matter how small or how large. We, we think that retribution, no matter how small or how large, will soothe our soul. But it won't. It doesn't. You know, I, uh, during Holy Week, uh, I got this Facebook post. It wasn't really... It was. I guess it was sent to... Uh, the Beach Catholic website, but I think it was, in a sense, I interpreted it as kind of being directed toward me. Um, we put the Holy Week schedule out, and for Good Friday, since we were gonna be down in the parking lot for the three o'clock service, I decided not to do a Stations of the Cross on Good Friday night. Uh, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. It was, didn't really make sense, because we had Stations of the Cross all the other Fridays of Lent, so it, it was logical on Good Friday we ought to have stations, but I was thinking we're doing the 3 o'clock service. We really don't need to. Well, it was a mistake. I, of all days, we should have had stations at the cross. So I got this message. Now listen to this. No hello or, you know, no, no greeting at all. It's this I have to say how appalled I am that there's no stations of the cross at St. Ignatius this Good Friday did anyone stop to think about working people in the parish all the masses are during the day or in Spanish what happened to the rest of us that speak English and work three exclamation points <gasps> she was appalled <sighs> Like. How about, hey, I was wondering why we're not having Stations of the Cross. Or how about, hey, I'm disappointed that we're not having Stations of the Cross. Or can we have Stations of the Cross? Instead, I hear that she's just appalled. Well, first of all, it's like, man, if, if that's got you appalled, you got to, you, this crank has got, Not a lot to be upset about, number one. It's like, give me a break. Like, we're in the middle of like a pandemic. We're trying to organize three churches dealing with crowd issues. It's like, come on. Like, you're appalled? I just couldn't get past that word. Like, you got to be kidding. You know what was making me crazy was... She was right about the Stations of the Cross. Like, I so much wanted to be like, no, we're not doing it. Now we're absolutely, you know what, we're not even gonna do it next year because of, of what you're saying. Like, we're just not doing it. Like, so much a part of me wanted to just be an idiot. But I wasn't, I wasn't. I mean, I, <laughs> we had Stations of the Cross. Like, I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, she's right absolutely no need to communicate it that way. But we had stations of the cross. But like, do we have to come at each other like a 100 miles an hour? Do we really have to be appalled? I don't know. I think I got to get over it. (laughs) You know, that book Uh, at the end of each chapter it's this hero code and he has a little hero code statement each chapter based on each virtue so the end of the the forgiveness one was no matter how great or small the offense against me i will try to forgive i will be the victor not the victim and i just go back to what that general said man that was that was it talking about that, how that father would forgive. The father will forgive you because it will take away his burden, not the burden of his loss. Nothing can take that away, but the burden of his hatred and anger. Forgiveness is a great gift, not only to those who receive it, but to those that give it. Well, that's our code. That's who we are. That's the gospel, and that's what we need to be.